morning, church. If you would, open your Bibles with me today to Acts chapter 6. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6 today. As many of you know, my wife Rebecca and I have a one-year-old son. His name is Judah, and we are expecting another little baby due to arrive in late June. We went to the doctor a few days ago, had an ultrasound. We found out we're having another little boy. So yeah, we're, we're very excited about that. But you might remember from your Bibles that the guy in the Bible named Judah had a little brother, and he ended up... Uh, throwing him into a pit and selling him into slavery. (laughs) So if you would be praying for our family during this transition. (laughs) You know, a lot of you have experienced this. When you have another kid, it just changes how your family works. You know, as families grow, as organizations grow, you go through growing pains. Your rhythms change, your house looks different. Stuff is just different. And it's natural for families and organizations, and yes, even the church, as the church grows, to go through some growing pains. So we're in Acts chapter six today. We're gonna read verses one through seven. And let's take a look at some of these growing pains that the early church went through. Starting in verse one. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So here we are, we're in the weeks and the months after the birth of the church here, and this group of of believers has already proven themselves to be remarkable in how they love and take care of each other. Steve preached from Acts chapters four and five last week, and we saw at the end of Acts four, it says all the believers were one in heart and mind, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Wow. So this little group of believers, they really do take care of each other. But this little group of believers that started out as 120 grew rapidly. And so now by the time we're in Acts chapter six, there could be as many as 20,000 Christians. Now that kind of growth is great, but it also comes with some growing pains. It presents some organizational issues. You see, the 12 apostles are still mostly in charge of everything, and some of the widows in the church aren't being properly cared for as a result. Back then, if you were a Jewish widow, you would be taken care of by either your family or by the local synagogue. But when those Jewish widows would have become Christians, they might have been ostracized by their families or forsaken by their Jewish community. And so now it's the church's job to take care of them. And that's no big deal. The church was happy to do it. Uh, Caring for those who are down and out has always been a natural result of our love for God. Uh, James talks about this. You might have recognized this verse. James 1.27 says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So taking care of widows is and always has been important, 
And back when the church was smaller, it was a little easier. The apostles could say, hey, I gotta go get some groceries anyway. I'll swing by Esther's and drop her off some milk and eggs. Or hey, Bartholomew, would you mind going by and checking on Miriam on your way home? I haven't been over there in a few days. See if she's running low on supplies. That's fairly easy. But as the church grows, the apostles can't exactly do that anymore because they don't necessarily know everybody. It's not just the hometown Jews anymore. You see, there's two big groups of people in the church at this point. Most of the people in the church are Hebraic Jews. That means they're, they're Hebrews. They live in and around Palestine. Most of them are from in and around Jerusalem, and they speak Aramaic, which is the language of the apostles. These are the Hebraic Jews. That's most of the people. But then there's another smaller group, and these are the Hellenistic Jews. That just means the Greek Jews. They're not from Jerusalem. They spent most of their lives living somewhere else in the empire, but now they've moved back to Jerusalem so that they can die in the Holy Land. But somewhere along the way, they converted. They became Christians, and now they're part of this church. So as the church grows, unfortunately, this group of Hellenistic Greek widows begins to get left out of the food distribution. Now, it probably wasn't intentional. It's just easier to keep track of people you know. It's easier to care for people who speak your own language. That's natural. Here's the deal. As organizations grow, problems happen. When the church expands, it outgrows its current structures, and it needs to restructure in order to meet the needs in front of it. It's a natural life cycle of the church. And the church in Acts, it was a great example, but let's not pretend they were perfect. So let's take a look a little bit at what the growing pains the early church went through, and let's see what we can learn from these growing pains. So what was the problem the church was facing? Two big things. The first problem in the church was division. Division. The Hebraic Jews speak Aramaic. The Hellenistic Jews speak Greek. So even though I'm sure they probably had good intentions, it was probably natural for a little bit of an us versus them mentality to kick in. But that kind of division has no place in the church. So how did the church address their division? Well, they modified their structure to maximize their ministry. They didn't just go off of what had worked well in the past. They morphed into something new that would work better in the present. They modified their structure to maximize their ministry. They chose these seven men to take on the benevolence work. Now, the interesting thing about these seven men with the hard-to-pronounce names that we just read is each of them has a Greek name. They all have Hellenistic names. In other words, the people of the church who picked these men, they weren't interested in everything being exactly fair and even. We have to have the same number of Hebraic guys as Hellenistic guys so that everything's fair. No, they weren't interested in being fair or even. They were interested in humbly doing whatever they could to maintain unity, choosing people who would be able to better relate to the neglected party. They were doing whatever it took. They were living out Romans chapter 12, verse 18, which says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. They wouldn't stand for division. They wouldn't stand for having one segment of the church feel neglected. And so they chose seven guys who would have been able to know those widows and speak their language and meet their needs better. They were fiercely committed in the church to maintaining both unity and diversity. Did you know that Jesus actually prayed that for us? He prayed for that kind of unity in diversity in us. John chapter 17, Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe me through their message. That's us. Jesus is praying for us here. And look what he prays for us. He says that all of them may be one, Father, 
just as you are in me and I am in you, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So how will the world know that God sent Jesus and that God loves the world? They'll know it when they see the way the church is unified. And they see the way that the church is one, even as God is one. But let's be honest, there's a lot of things in here today that could divide us. We have a lot of differences, even right here in this room. Uh, Let's take a poll. Let's have a little fun with this, okay? Raise your hand if you like Coca-Cola. Okay, raise your hand if you prefer Pepsi. I'll pray for you. Uh, Raise your hand if you're a Purdue fan. All right, all right. Raise your hand if you're an IU fan. Tough year, sorry. All right, uh, raise your hand. Now, raise your hand if you're a dog person. Okay, raise your hand if you're a cat person. There's our sinners, okay? Uh, (laughs) Raise your hand if you have an iPhone. Raise your hand if you have an Android. Raise your hand if you like pancakes. Raise your hand if you'd rather have a waffle. Okay, raise your hand if you prefer Steve's preaching. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding, I don't wanna hurt Steve's feelings. (laughs) Now raise your hand if you're a sinner. Raise your hand if you need Jesus. Okay, yeah, that, that's what unites us, church. You see, no matter what kinds of cultural differences or dress codes or music styles or generational gaps might threaten to divide us, we are united in Jesus Christ. Unity in diversity comes from commonality in Christ. The Bible says over and over and over that we are one. We are children of one family with one father. We are disciples in one school with one teacher. We are sheep in one flock with one shepherd. We are stones in one building with one foundation. We are members of one body with one head. We are one. That's part of why I'm so excited to move back to one worship venue this fall. I'm looking forward to that. And it's not gonna be easy. Everybody's gonna have to sacrifice something, but unity is worth it. Because when the church is unified, Christ is glorified. And the obstacles to our unity can actually become opportunities for our growth. Look at what happens here when the church overcomes their obstacles and they are unified. Verse 7 says, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The church grows when we are unified, when we eliminate problem number one, division. But there was still another problem in the church. Problem number two was distraction. Steve talked last week about the ways that the devil tries to stop the church. And so far in the book of Acts, we've seen the devil try to stop the church through persecution, through corruption, through division. And none of those things worked. And so now he's going to try distraction. And we all know that bad things can happen when you get distracted, right? When you let what's right in front of you consume your vision and and distract you from the bigger picture. Take a look at the damage caused by distraction in this video. Boom! (laughs) Oh my goodness. Look, you can see it coming. Look at that. Oh my goodness. Oh. Uh. (laughs) How do people live like this? Boom, all right, all right. I know I've done this. I don't know if any of you guys have done this. I'm probably not the only guilty one. 
Did you know that between the years of 2000 and 2011, there were at least 11,000 reported injuries due to people walking around distracted on their cell phones? Distraction is a big deal. Look at that. Down he goes. <laughs> and the apostles knew that distraction was a big deal. They knew the damage distraction would cause, and so they refused to be distracted. They refused to let what was right in front of them blind them from the bigger picture. So instead of saying, you know, yeah, 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 we'll wake up earlier, we'll, we'll, we'll stay out later, we'll make sure the widows get food when they need it, the apostles said, no, let's take a step back. Let's look at the bigger picture here. We're gonna need some help with this because we don't want to get distracted. Sometimes you have to say no to good things in order to say yes to the best thing. We've heard it said before that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. But in each of our lives and in every organization, there's a thousand little things that try to distract us from the one big thing. The devil would love for us to be a distracted church. Down she goes. <laughs> All right, now how many of you heard anything I said in the last two minutes? You didn't, did you? No, you can't tell me what I was saying because you were distracted. You let all those little things distract you from the main thing. And the devil would love for us to be a distracted church. The devil would love for us to be scurrying around busy, doing a lot of little things that are fine and good and being distracted from the things that are first and best. Our mission as a church is loving all people to new life in Christ. And we will not be distracted from that mission. And any opportunity, any investment, any program, any use of time or money or energy that does not fit that mission does not have a place in this church because we will not be distracted from our mission. That's what the apostles are saying here. They knew that God had called them to the ministry of the word and prayer. They were to lead the church by praying and by preaching the Bible. Was it that they were too cool to serve tables? Not at all. Did they think they were too good to serve the widows? Not in the least. They'd been doing it for quite some time. They just didn't want to get distracted from their mission. And we don't want to either. So we've seen the church that was faced with these two big problems, division and distraction. And they decide that the solution to those problems is the same thing. Get more people involved in serving. We've seen so far in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit wants to move us, right? That's why we're calling our series Move. We've seen that the Holy Spirit wants to move us from uncertain to empowered and from bystander to disciple and from defense to offense and from selfish to sacrificial. And today, I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to move me, wants to move you, wants to move us from sitting to serving, the solution to division and distraction is to move from sitting to serving. You've heard us talk a lot this year about this new vision we're rolling out. And as part of this vision, as we implement this, we are calling you to three simple things. Worship, serving, and groups. If you are a part of the PCC family, we expect you to come to worship, we expect you to be involved in serving, and we expect you to be in a home group. And two of those things can actually be accomplished on a Sunday morning. We're putting in place what's called a sit one, serve one model. That's the fancy name, but it basically just means this. We're asking you on a Sunday morning to come and sit one hour in a worship service 
and also to serve one hour somewhere else in the church. And I know that's a big ask. I know a lot of you guys have other stuff going on on Sundays, and for those of you who have kids, that's a big thing. But we believe that this is a worthwhile endeavor. Because in Acts chapter six, the apostles found out that as the church grows, as one of the dangers of being in a big church is that people can get accidentally overlooked. And for them, they were in danger of accidentally overlooking these Greek widows. And in this season of the life of our church, we are in danger of accidentally overlooking kids and guests. I don't know if you've been in the treehouse lately, but the treehouse is like bursting at the seams. Our kids' ministry is full to the brim and growing. We have tons and tons of new kids coming all the time, and that is great. We want to keep growing. We believe in ministering to kids. But as we get more and more kids, we need more and more adults to help with those kids. The goal in the treehouse with the kids' ministry is to have one adult volunteer for every seven kids to make sure that each kid will get personal interaction, to make sure that the teachers in the classroom aren't just doing damage control, trying to keep everybody from killing each other, but they're actually able to spend time with the kids and make sure they're being appropriately taught about Jesus. We don't want any kid to be overlooked. And so we need volunteers in the kids' ministry. We also don't want any guests to be overlooked. And so we need volunteers on the hospitality team because we have hundreds and hundreds of new people that come to this church every single year. And we want every guest that sets foot on this campus to be welcomed. We want them to know where to go and know how things work. We want them to make a personal connection with people. We want them ultimately to feel the hospitality and love of Jesus through us. That means we need more people on our hospitality team. That also means that all of us as individuals need to shift our focus a little bit. Because when the apostles here in Acts chapter six found out that some of the people in their church, these widows, were, were being overlooked and felt neglected, they changed their focus. And so I wanna challenge you to change your focus on a Sunday morning. I wanna challenge you to introduce yourself to at least one person you don't know every week. Now that's a scary thing, I get it. But there's a lot of people in this room that you don't know. Introduce yourself, start a conversation, say hi, ask, ask where they're from, ask what they do for a living. It's easy, it's not that hard. Introduce yourself. Maybe you can look down the row you're sitting in and you don't even know the people sitting in your row. You don't know the people sitting in your section. Maybe you recognize their faces because you see them every week, but you don't know their names. Introduce yourself, get to know them. We're a family here and we wanna be a hospitable family. We want our church home to be a welcoming, open, hospitable place. If you see people walking through the halls who don't know where to go, don't walk on by, don't pretend you don't see it. Ask them if you can help, introduce yourself. If somebody, is, if there's people who come in late every single week, no shame there, that's okay, but they're looking for a place to sit. Scoot to the middle of the row, ask them to come sit by you, it's easy. We want this to be an open, welcoming, hospitable home. And that means we need you to be involved in worship and in service. And the third thing we want you to be involved in is a home group. And part of the reason we believe in home groups is because it's easy to get lost in a big group. It's harder to get lost in a small group. And we believe that if every person in our church was involved in a home group, then no needs would go overlooked. And no people would be neglected. We want all of you to have deep relationships with people who can help care for you and walk with you in your journey to new life in Jesus Christ. So we want you to be in a worship, we want you to serve, and we want you to be in a home group. And in order to make PCC this kind of a place, we need a lot of you to decide that you're willing to move from sitting to serving. The Emperor Napoleon once pointed to a map and he pointed to China on the map. And he said, there lies a sleeping giant. If it ever wakes up, it'll be unstoppable. I think that's us, church. I think we're a sleeping giant. And if we wake up, if we get every part of this church family involved in serving, I think we'll be unstoppable. Just imagine the incredible things that God could do through us. 
We saw this in Acts chapter six, when the church got their people mobilized and serving to meet the needs in front of them, it says the word of God spread and the number of disciples increased rapidly. That's what I want, isn't it what you want? And that means we need every part involved in the work. And that was a radical shift of thinking for the Jews. Because in, in their mindset, most of the tasks of the ministry were delegated to the rabbis at the synagogue or to the priests at the temple. But then all of a sudden, Jesus comes and he changes everything around because Jesus comes and he dies and then he raises again to new life. He ascends to heaven and he sends the believers his Holy Spirit and he fills them with his presence. And the Holy Spirit comes and now all of a sudden, the Bible says, we are the temple. The Bible says, you are the priests. The work of ministry belongs to you. In fact, Ephesians chapter four says that the job of the leadership of the church is not actually to do all the ministry. It's to help you all find and fulfill your ministries. The job of the leadership of the church is to equip the saints for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Our job is to help you find your ministry. I heard a story, and I love this, of a lady one time who was asked what she did for a living, and she said, I'm a missionary cleverly disguised as a grocery store clerk. <laughs> and I like that. I hope you're living with that mindset. I wanna live with that mindset. I hope you're a missionary, cleverly disguised as a grandparent. And I hope you're a missionary, cleverly disguised as a nurse. I hope you're a missionary, cleverly disguised as an accountant. I hope you're a missionary, cleverly disguised as a mechanic. I hope you're a missionary, cleverly disguised as a forklift driver. I hope you're a missionary, cleverly disguised as a stay-at-home mom. I hope wherever you are that you are using the personality and the passion and the gifts and the experiences that God has given you to reach the people around you to serve every single day in and day in and day out in the service of God's kingdom. And it's our job as a church to help you find your gifts and discover your calling and live out that ministry. It's also also our job as a church to show you where you can contribute and serve and be a part of what's going on here at PCC. And we want you to be a part of this too, inside this building as well. But for some of you today, you're sitting right now instead of serving. And for one reason or another, you're hesitant to serve. So let me talk to you for a minute. Maybe you're sitting because you don't feel needed. One of the hard things about being a big church is that it's easy to walk in those doors and think, ah, they got it all together, they don't need me. Well, don't let us fool you. <laughs> we don't have it all together, okay? Uh, you are needed for service. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. You guys know what it feels like when one little part of your body doesn't work, right? When you stub your toe, it throws everything else off. We need every part of the body involved in the work. And you were actually created for service. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And it is my prayer today that each and every one of you in this room would be able to figure out how God has wired you and gifted you and that you would find an opportunity to serve so that when you're serving and using your gifts, you think, yeah, this is what I was made to do. I've found that in my life. I feel that right now as I'm preaching. I feel God's pleasure as I serve. And I want you to find that too. There's no greater joy. And lastly, you are gifted for service. First Peter chapter four says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So here's the bottom line. The Holy Spirit wants to move you from sitting to serving. You are needed here. You are a part of this body and we need every part. 
If I kick the bucket tomorrow, y'all aren't gonna miss me that much next week. There's a lot of other people who could stand up here and preach the sermon. And if Steve's gone next week, we're not gonna miss him that much either, okay? <laughs> but if Sheila's gone in the nursery, nobody's out there rocking babies, and all the babies have to be in here in the service, and they're screaming their heads off, you're gonna miss her. And if Tori's gone and the toilets are all clogged, you're gonna miss him. And if Mark and Mike are gone and nobody's here making coffee, y'all are gonna look pretty sleepy in this service. And if Jim had been gone this last month with his snow removal crew and they weren't here a few weeks over the last month, our parking lot would have been an ice skating rink. And if Josh and Kyle weren't here to run the lights, run the sounds, it's gonna get really quiet and really dark in here really fast. We need every part involved in the work. It takes a lot to make this happen. And I'm so grateful to get to be a part of this church body because so many of you are such wonderful servants. And every time we present a need to this church, you all have stepped up. You have risen up and you've met that need. I'm so humbled to be a part of a group like this where you all are serving. And I'm here to tell you that we have a need that we need to meet. We need people to welcome guests and we need people to rock babies. We need people to lead worship in here. We need people to lead worship for kids. We need people to teach, people to run sound, people to cut out hundreds of craft pieces. We need people who like to work with their hands. We need people who are musical. We need people to set up and tear down rooms. We need people to be bouncers in kids' classes. We need people to clean. We need people to pick up chairs. We need people to mentor young parents. We need people to lead discipleship groups for teenagers. We need people to show cars where to park, people to pass out programs, people to show folks where to sit, people who like to visit with the elderly in nursing homes, people to deliver meals, and that's barely scratching the surface. You are welcome here, and let me tell you, you're needed here. We have a place for you. But maybe you're sitting today because you don't know what your gifts are. You might be thinking, that's great that you need me, but I don't even know where I fit. I don't even know where my gifts are. Well, let me answer that for you. You you have gifts. There's no such thing as an ungifted Christian I'd encourage you this week to go look at what the Bible says about spiritual gifts. It has long lists of them in places like Romans chapter 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter chapter 4. The Bible talks about gifts like evangelism and teaching, encouragement, giving, leadership, compassion, hospitality, craftsmanship, prayer, wisdom, knowledge, faith, discernment, administration. We don't just need people in the kids' ministry and on the hospitality team. We need people who have the gift of hospitality to welcome a home group in their home. We need people who have the gift of, of cooking. We need people who have the gift of leadership. We need people who have the gift of teaching to be able to open God's word. We need people who have the gift of prayer. We need all kinds of people. I bet you have one of those gifts. Probably more than one. I bet you can do a lot more than that too. Each and every one of you has a skill or an ability or an experience that God wants to use. And church, I hope that you're using your gifts and you're finding ways to serve and meet the needs of those around you everywhere you go all throughout your day. But we also hope that you're serving here. I don't know uh, what your situation is, but if you don't know where you fit or what you'd like to do, what your gifts are, then I'd encourage you to go to mypcc.info. We send you there for a lot of things. But there's a serve tab there on mypcc.info. If you click on that serve tab, they have a spiritual gifts assessment that you can take on there. It's a really helpful tool to help discern how God has wired you, how he's shaped you, and where your gifts fit into what we're doing here as a church and where you fit, where you can plug in. I'd encourage you to take that because you have a gift. So take that spiritual gifts assessment. That's my challenge to you today. Wherever you are, I wanna challenge you to move from sitting to serving. And I'm not just saying that because I'm trying to con you into giving us free labor, okay? I'm saying that because we follow Jesus. The Jesus who said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
If God himself saw fit to step off his throne and come down here to serve us so that we might be saved, then it's the least we can do to serve others so that others might be saved as well. Because Jesus came and he found us. We were ostracized, cut off, divided, but he came and he did not overlook us and he restored our unity with himself and with the Father. And Jesus died for us and he rose again and he ascended into heaven and he's filling us with his Holy Spirit, his Spirit who is empowering us, his Spirit who has gifted you. But your gifts aren't trophies, they're tools. They are tools for you to use in God's kingdom so that others might discover the same hope and life and joy in Jesus Christ that you have found. And God heals the division and the distraction in the church when his people make a commitment to serve one another in love. So open your heart today and let the spirit move you from sitting to serving. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for coming and for serving us so that we might be saved, that we might know you and be unified with you And I believe, Father, that when we were baptized, you filled us with your spirit and you have given us gifts, each person in here, that you want us to use for your glory, for your kingdom. And so it's my prayer today, God, that each person here in this room would be able to find those gifts. I'm looking out over this room, Lord, and I'm I'm just delighted to see these people, all the different personalities and experiences and gifts and abilities in here. It's incredible that you have brought us together and made us one. So show each person in this room today, Father, how you want to use them in the service of this church and how you want to use them throughout their week, right where you've placed them to serve the people around them. We believe that you have gifted us and we wanna use those gifts for your glory. We love you so much, Jesus, and it is your name we pray, amen.